This podcast supports the Innocent Lives Foundation, ILF. The ILF is made up of security professionals whose mission is to identify anonymous child predators and help bring them to justice. The professionals are volunteers who are masters in everything from open source intelligence to exploit writing, and they donate their time to identify child predators and then hand cases over to law enforcement agencies. With their non-vigilante stance, they do everything in their power to create airtight cases for law enforcement agencies. You can also join this fight by donating to the ILF to directly fund this powerful mission. To learn more about the ILF and to donate, please visit their website at www.innocentlivesfoundation.org. Thank you. Welcome to episode 36 of the Beat Picture Podcast. My name is Bidemio Logunde. This podcast presents lessons we can learn from fascinating cybersecurity topics, news, events, and incidents, and how those lessons can influence our decisions, thoughts, opinions, and lifestyle choices, as well as how everything fits together to form the bigger picture of online security in this digital age. Today on the show, I'll be talking about the increase in remote jobs that do not require university degrees and how toxic online disagreements are largely due to the way social media platforms are designed. Thanks for your time. Let's get to it. So to start with, um, the number of remote roles that don't require a university education has increased significantly. In May 2021, just under 4% of all job postings in the United States were for remote roles that don't require university education at all. And this figure was up from 0.6% of all the roles for the same period last year. And all of this is from data um, from LinkedIn. So some of the roles that that have proven most popular among applicants include customer service representatives, salesperson, as well as administrative and data entry roles. And this trend reflects a general rise in the availability of remote roles since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic last year, March. Job adverts for roles that require a university degree also rose in the United States from 2% last year to 7% in May of 2021. So on a global scale, the share of remote jobs um, grew about 2.4 times between May of last year and May of this year. Ads, um, adverts that are labeled as remote or that include keywords such as, quote, work from home, now represent 14% of all job posts on LinkedIn. So expectedly, this comes as companies rethink how they operate in the future and increasingly look to offer employees greater flexibility, which a lot of people now crave after the past year and a half of working remotely. And of course, the rise and popularity of apps such as Zoom and Slack has also allowed people to easily adapt to working remotely. A survey from Microsoft in March 2021 found that 73% of employees wanted flexible remote options following their experience during the pandemic. 40% said they were considering changing roles and 46% out of this 40% said they were planning to move now that remote work was becoming more of a possibility, even though many of these respondents hold a university degree. 
Some industries in the US, such as hospitality and ride sharing, have been struggling to fill vacancies for months, um, a situation which the US Chamber of Commerce labeled as, quote, a national economic emergency in a report that came out in June 2021, last month. And according to the latest figures from the United States Bureau of Labor Statistics, 3.6 million Americans voluntarily left their jobs in May of this year. And the trend has been fueled by a mixture of stronger out-of-work benefits and the fact that people are reassessing their careers or retiring after the pandemic. So it's, it's very possible that some remote jobs will revert to in-person roles, but for a lot of people, the shift to remote work will become something that is more permanent. So that's all I have for this segment, um, this brief segment talking about how remote jobs are becoming more available to people. And there's now a growing number of job postings that don't require a college degree at all. So after the break, I'll be talking about how toxic online disagreements are largely due to the way social media platforms are designed. Stay with us. Welcome back. So it's common knowledge that many people don't handle disagreements well online compared to face-to-face disagreements, even though good faith disagreements are a normal part of society and building relationships and actually getting to understand each other because several studies have shown that nowadays many people don't necessarily understand one another. So it's one thing to, to actually get along well with other people, it's another thing to claim to get along well with other people that, and actually understand why they say the things they say, what makes them believe the, the things they believe and so on. So all of that would only be possible if humans understand each other and understanding comes from listening to each other and many people, and there's a recent um, um, survey actually that says Less people are having best friends nowadays. Um, there's a significant drop in the number of people that can claim to have friends that actually they talk to every day, um, apart from their spouses. So that's that's something that it's it's actually becoming something to pay attention to, and it's coinciding with the rise in social media. And now there's this survey, this research that says online disagreements are becoming rampant simply because of the way social media platforms are designed. So over the years, researchers have tried to understand the psychology of arguing online. And from all of this stem from studying the differences between texting versus voice and video communications to trying to examine how anyone can become an online troll and to studies about how to argue properly. So all these things are trying to understand the psychology behind arguing online, why people argue online, how people argue online, and so on. Interestingly, a typically overlooked factor in all of these studies is the design of social media itself. 
So in April of 2021, researchers from the University of Washington in Seattle, Washington, led by Amanda Bourne, B-A-U-G-H-A-N, who is a PhD student. Those, um, the researchers recently investigated, investigated how the design of social media platforms affect online disagreements and how to design for constructive arguments. So their findings were published on April 22nd, 2021, in the April issue of the Proceedings of the ACM on Human-Computer Interaction. So the ACM is the Association for Computing Machinery. So these researchers surveyed 257 people about their experiences with online arguments and how design could help reduce online arguments. So they asked which features of 10 different social media platforms made it easy or difficult to engage in online arguments and why. And for full disclosure, these researchers received funding for their research from Facebook. And the link to their research is in the show notes for this episode. So the researchers found that people often avoid discussing challenging topics online because of the fear of harming their relationships. And then when it comes to disagreements, not all social media platforms are the same. It is possible for people to spend a lot of time on one social media platform and not engage in arguments, for example, on YouTube, or find it nearly impossible to avoid arguments on certain other platforms, for example, Facebook and WhatsApp. In terms of hours spent on social media per week, so these researchers found that YouTube was the highest number, um, the highest number of hours spent with 8.4 hours per week, followed by WhatsApp with 7 hours. The lowest they found was Tumblr and Snapchat at 2 hours each. For the percentage of users who have had arguments on social media platforms, they discovered that WhatsApp had 76% of users out of this sample size that they did, and Facebook had 70% of their users who have engaged in arguments on Facebook. And in terms of the lowest numbers, it was YouTube, 6%, and then Reddit and Instagram both had 16%. So they summarized the user experiences on Facebook, WhatsApp, and YouTube as follows, because they were the most and least common places for online arguments. So for Facebook, 70% of the survey participants engaged um, in, in arguments at one point or the other, and many of them spoke negatively of the experience. People said they felt it was hard to be vulnerable because they had an audience, which were their Facebook friends. So it's important to distinguish between Facebook and Facebook Messenger, which these researchers also looked into. So on Facebook, the arguments people have on Facebook are public, Everybody else is seeing it, but on Facebook Messenger, it's usually between the people they were communicating with, or if they were in a group, Facebook Messenger group, then it's only the people in those groups that would see those arguments. So for this case, the 70% for Facebook was assuming that the arguments were being done where all their friends would see the arguments. So one participant said, quote, sometimes you don't admit your failures because other people are looking. And that's on Facebook. Disagreements therefore become sparring matches with a captive audience rather than two or more people just trying to express their views and find common ground, which is what typically happens with face-to-face -face arguments. People also say that the way Facebook structures comments 
prevent meaningful engagement because many comments are automatically hidden or cut shorter on Facebook. And this prevents people from seeing content and participating in the discussion at all. So for WhatsApp, on the other hand, people said arguing on private messaging platforms such as WhatsApp allowed them, quote, to be honest and have a honest conversation. It was a popular place for online arguments with 76% of the survey's participants saying that they had argued on the platform. The way messages were organized also allowed people, quote, to keep the focus on the discussion at hand. And unlike the experience with face-to-face conversations, someone receiving a message on WhatsApp could choose when to respond. People said that this helped online dialogue because they had more time to think out their responses and take a step back from the emotional charge of the situation. However, sometimes this turned into too much time between messages and then people said they felt they were being ignored. So overall, the service participants felt that the privacy they had on WhatsApp was necessary for vulnerability and authenticity online, with significantly more people agreeing that they could talk about controversial topics on private platforms as opposed to public ones such as Facebook. So on the other end of the spectrum, um, there is YouTube that had fewer people reporting engaging in arguments and then the opinions of of these YouTube users depended on which feature they used. So when commenting, people said they may write something controversial and nobody will reply to it on YouTube, which therefore makes the site feel more like leaving a review than having a conversation. So users felt that they could have disagreements in the live chat section of a video with the caveat that the channel they are viewing the video on did not moderate the discussion. So unlike Facebook and WhatsApp, YouTube is centered around video content and users liked the fact that one particular video can be focused on without having to defend a whole issue. So if, for example, the issue of gun rights, you can just focus on what this video is saying about gun rights and you don't have to expand your um, back and forth discussions about gun rights as a whole. So, and then also that you can make long, long videos to really explain yourself. So if someone is posting a video on YouTube, that person can actually make as long, the video as long as they want, sometimes up to three, four, five hours, just to make sure that everybody is getting the point they're trying to pass across. So these YouTube users also like the fact that videos facilitate more social cues than is possible in most online interactions since you can see the person's facial expressions on the videos they produce. So a lot of um, conversations have been around how texting usually is, is just, you're not showing as much emotions as you would on a video call that you show on texting. And even with emojis, it's possible someone is sending an emoji and they mean the complete opposite of the emoji they are sending. So all of this is more clearer. It's clearer on on a video call, on a YouTube video, because if someone is being sarcastic, you can actually see their facial expression matching their sarcasm. So if ordinarily you you wouldn't be able to detect the sarcasm, by just seeing their facial expressions, you'd see that, okay, something is not matching here. And then you realize, oh, this person is being sarcastic. 
So YouTube's platform-wide moderation had mixed reviews, um, according to the participants in this survey. And some people felt they could comment freely without persecution, while others said videos were removed at YouTube's discretion, usually for ridiculous reasons. People also felt that when creators moderated their comments and just filtered the things they don't like, it prevents people from being able to have difficult discussions. Um, the researchers asked the survey participants how proposed design interactions could improve their experiences arguing online. People like some features that are already present on social media platforms, such as the ability to delete inflammatory content and also the ability to block users who derail conversations, as well as the ability to use emojis to convey emotions in text. People were also enthusiastic about an intervention that helps users to switch channels from a public one to a private one. This involves an app intervening in an argument, usually on a public post, and suggesting that users move that discussion to a private chat. So according to one participant, quote, this way, people don't get annoyed and included in online discussions that don't really involve them. Another person said, quote, this would save a lot of people embarrassment from arguing in public. So overall, the service participants were cautiously optimistic about the potential for design to improve the tone of online arguments. They were hopeful that design could help them find more common ground with other people online. But yet, people are also wary of technology's potential to become intrusive during an already sensitive interpersonal exchange. For instance, a well-intentioned but naive intervention by the social media app could backfire and come across as creepy and or too much. The researchers proposed a first 30-second timeout, which is designed to give people time to cool off before responding during an heated exchange. However, the participants thought that could end up frustrating the people involved further and then derail the conversation. So while social media platform developers can take steps to foster constructive disagreements online through design, they will also need to consider how their interventions might backfire or intrude or otherwise have unintended consequences for their users. So again, as a full disclosure, these researchers that conducted this research received funding from Facebook for this research. So that's all I have for episode 36 of the Beat Picture Podcast. Um, the production, editing, fact-checking, audio engineering, and graphic design were done by yours truly, Peter Logunde. Please join me again on the next episode as I continue with a deep dive on cybersecurity topics, news, events, and incidents, and the lessons we can all learn from them for robust cyber threat intelligence and awareness in our daily lives. Make sure you subscribe to the Beat Picture on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Please share the show with anyone you think might benefit from it. And for questions, comments, or any suggestions, please send an email to bdemi at thebeatpicture.com. You can also get in touch on Twitter at BeatPicture. Please remember to leave a review for the podcast. That would really help to promote the podcast. Thank you for your time. See you on the next episode. Bye for now.